welcome to Playwright, a podcast about creating and sharing new ways to play. I am one half of your collective host, Ryan Heyman, also known as H. I think that I, that that communicates the message that I think I was <laughs> was intending to. <laughs> and That's the most elegant way to uh, to present that idea. Why don't, why don't you introduce yourself, the other side of this amorphous yeah, sure. <laughs> host being that we've created here? Sure, I'm Ryan Quintel, aka Q. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we do that because we have the same first name for those mm-hmm. of you just joining us. <laughs> just joining us specifically after we already introduced ourselves. Yes, thank you for tuning in 30 <laughs> seconds into the podcast instead of right from the beginning. Yeah, well, you know, you want to skip all the Squarespace ads, so. Uh, <laughs> That's right. But you can still build it beautiful. You can still build it beautiful. <laughs> exactly. I give you a hard time, Q, because uh, <laughs> you used to be a part of uh, the Squarespace team. It's true. You know, it warms my heart to hear the ads. And I actually did at one point an ad read uh, for Spotify for Squarespace. Hmm. And I slowly got to learn which one of my friends paid for Spotify that way. They're like, hey, I heard you. I was like, oh, you don't pay, huh? There you go. (laughs) Let's get into the game presentations today. Uh, Why don't you go first today? Well, I've got something that I think is pretty original. It's called Super Mario 65. (laughs) 65. It's one more than the last one you see. (laughs) So I'm picturing in my head, this is a roguelite game, light, not like, and it is a co-op game where you play as superheroes. (laughs) Action RPG style, kind of like Marvel Ultimate Alliance. Yeah, yeah. Four players are superheroes. Each of them, a la Rogue Legacy, is assigned a random superpower and a random super weakness. Mm-hmm. You also get random name, lore, body, costume combination, all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. You have different enemy types. The enemies are assigned also these energy colors, which correspond to your super weakness. Okay. So green, red, yellow, you know, that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. And enemies are just kind of coming at the group and once you're gone, once your character is dead, the other people can play to the end of the level and then that's the chance to bring you back. Mm. So, you have level after level of this game being played and new superheroes kind of suiting up all the time to take the place of fallen heroes. The couple of twists other than the co-op twist I wanted to put on this was what I really like and simultaneously dislike about randomly generated levels and things like that is that if you get a really interesting or fun combination, you either have to share it in that moment or poof, it's kind of gone forever. Mm -hmm. So I thought it might be interesting to let the game call something level one its random set of variables are all assembled and then i mean technicality wise you can save it as a a string in a database or something but that gets baked as level one and then as you beat the levels they are kind of set in stone and you can you know have a ridiculous amount of levels like nine thousand nine hundred ninety you know whatever the limit Mm -hmm. is And at any point, you can go back and say, whoa, you know, this is a really weird level. We should go back and play that with our new set of currently surviving heroes. 
to see if we can oh. do better or hmm. best our score. They're kind of like the uh, chalice dungeons in Bloodborne. Yes, yes, a lot like that. I think it's going to be really fun to play as a bunch of superheroes on level, you know, 768, which was the crazy one where all the bad guys were red. And, you know, we had weaknesses against all red bad guys the first time around. Well, now we've got people who have a cooler superpower or a better team comp and we can go in and best that level. I'd even love for it to have some mechanism of taking the levels that have been kind of baked for you and your crew and maybe even the characters that you played as and share that on some sort of service where you can then go almost if Mario Maker was done entirely by machines, right? Mm, Yeah. So that is where I'll kind of close this pitch. What do you think? Let's go ahead and start the clock and see where we can take this thing. This idea of um, it all being procedurally generated, I think is, is definitely cool. I think this fits into, I mean, you already brought up Marvel Ultimate Alliance, which was based on the uh, gauntlet style of games. Yeah. Um, you know, Gauntlet Legends was a favorite of mine when I was growing up. That would You'd always find a Gauntlet Legends cabinet in uh, pizza places Loved and it. Red Robins and such. I was a big Dark Legacy fan as well. Mm. They're all cut from the same cloth, but those came before this big kind of like roguelike resurgence. And so, you know, I feel like they would have really benefited from this level of randomization and uh, replayability in that way. But what I what I really like about this, what really stands out to me is your introduction of like colors representing superpowers and weaknesses. And I was thinking about, you know, what if and maybe this is less interesting than having, you know, unique superpowers. But what if every like every color combination could be combined in the same way that you can combine like the colors of light along like a color wheel. Yeah. And so if you had an enemy that had a weakness of orange and you happen to be the red, uh, and, red yellow and yellow heroes, heroes. <laughs> and you can like you can cross your your beams and catch that person in the middle or even if you had an enemy with a uh, weakness of of purple and one of your other enemies is blue then you can like trick him into shooting at you and you can you know catch the other the purple one in the crossfire if you're red and and obliterate him that way but you know and these are kind of like simplistic ideas that, that I'm throwing out there but if they could come up with really interesting ways to kind of leverage the color combination portion of yeah. it I'd be interested in that and I'm almost nervous to suggest that because I know that there's a somewhat popular game uh, that r- kind of, you know, within the last couple of years came out called Chroma Squad, which if I had to name the game that I had just been talking about, Chroma Squad would probably be pr- pretty near the top of the list. <laughs> sure. I don't know what that one is. And so I hope it's not exactly what we're talking about I now. I was under the impression that Chroma Squad was... A little closer to a Power Rangers beat 'em up, but I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. not not entirely certain. So uh, Power Rangers and superheroes kind of sit on the the same row of the bus, anyways. <laughs> certainly, and I, I'm I'm almost wondering too if those things aren't mutually exclusive. The sort of mm-hmm. traditional superpowers could maybe work their way in. Like I think it would be funny to see like a melee super strength person get generated, mm-hmm. but they happen to attack with yellow energy 
versus yeah, yeah, like right. the flight and laser eyes Superman person that is a red energy person or whatever. Kind of like in the Guacamelee, how even though you know not all attacks are projectile, they are all color coded, and you know they use that to kind of communicate some of the mechanics and some of the uh, you know which powers can destroy which obstacles and such. I've only been dicey about whether or not you should be able to come back in the middle of a level or kind of at the end mm. of a level. But I think it's interesting, this moment of the other three people playing and the fourth screen is watching a superhero like do the Batman montage of putting <laughs> on the costume. Uh-huh. And you're slowly revealing like, oh, the person's got a pink costume. Oh, they've got weird <laughs> hair. And then the, you know, name I think this game is super ripe to generate a bunch of really silly superhero names and gender combinations. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I would really like that. So one thing, and uh, you know, I don't want to be a bummer on the show here, <laughs> but one of the things that I am like actually really passionate about in in the games creation space is accessibility. And uh, for anything that is kind of like color coded and color based, I. I, I want to think about some way to um, communicate to colorblind players because there are various forms of colorblindness. And I know kind of like best form in video games is everything that is distinguishable by color should also be distinguishable by shape. Oh, man, I just got done talking about this stuff at work. Uh-huh. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is excellent. Then we're on the same page. Uh, but if you were to uh, to incorporate any kind of mechanics that required like combining colors to come up with a third color, that would also have to be like just as easily communicated via shapes, which I, you know, that, that might be a bit above my head right now. What do you think about all this? Well, it's, yeah, the sort of rule of two point differentiation mm-hmm. is important for these type of things. So I think the way you see it, it which at this point is almost a bit trite of a implementation is to tie things to the elements that have icons, right? So, Mm -hmm. you know, a green earth attack clearly has rocks and particles on it. And yellow is like lightning E. So you can read the energy of the attacks as they happen, Mm -hmm. but there might be more creative ways of doing it, whether it's the symbol that appears next to your hero or the logo on their chest or something that's always in your UI. So you can reliably know or little tiny icons kind of showing what damage is happening to the bad guys. That could also be helpful. Hmm. You gave me a design challenge in the middle of our design <laughs> podcast. Very cool. Well, that's good. That's, <laughs> that's exactly what we're here for. <laughs> I'm curious to hear what you think about the level baking right. idea. Yeah, I think the the challenge of that is you want any play session to have like a difficulty curve. You know, kind of like the Binding of Isaac. You you hop into that. Yeah. And even if you've been playing a thousand hours, it starts you out at a relatively simple level and it lets you progress to something harder. If every level was being saved, then you would kind of get these weird difficulty arcs every few levels sure, that, yeah. that slope upwards and that wouldn't provide like a hugely satisfying. But again, like you were saying you would pretty much always be generating new levels. You wouldn't really be looking to replay them like they were a progression, like Mario levels or something. Sure. So, you know, that might not be a problem. And, and, you know, if you had 
a way to like after a level was finished quickly like give it a star and so that one is marked as one that you want to come back to or write a little note or something and say you know bring me back here when i have a character with this ability kind of like the uh lego games are actually a, a pretty good way to look at that as well you know you come back here when you have somebody who can you know use the force to open this this brick wall and yeah so that that kind of makes sense it's also interesting this idea of being able to share these levels online kind of like people share isaac seeds you know where they'll say yes. like oh you get some really good items in your first you know level of the dungeon and you'll be clear to kill mom's heart exactly. at the end of it all you know there's an aspect to the level baking that I wanted to play into the absurdity a little bit of the mm -hmm. game in terms of I think it's very fun to start level 642. Yeah. I'm not necessarily <laughs> saying that somebody will get to 642 very quickly, but I also thought that tied into the theme of this there's so many things about this that if you strip them away is very standard superheroes going from level to level beating things but it's the fact that there's an a seemingly endless drip of heroes and levels that mm -hmm. uh paired together that i liked i'm wondering if the system could say understand that level x y or z is particularly difficult for hero set a b and mm. c okay. and therefore kind of serve you up hey try and beat level four with your current set oh, of yeah, heroes yeah. see if you can survive that that would make sense yeah i i think just based on the, the theming the aesthetic theming of superheroes and all of this the standard like numbered level progression would be a little uh, on the plain side for what i would ex expect there i think it'd be more fun if each of these levels was like a different city with a different randomly generated name <laughs> oh, or yes. even better like you would get like the cover of a comic book you know and it would be action comics number 600 and you would show your heroes and then the big boss at the end of it and like some like title and in, in big bold letters or dripping with ooze or something like that and it would be kind of randomly give you that uh, title card, kind of like the uh, wonderful title cards from Left 4 Dead or um, Destroy All Humans or that kind of theme, uh, which again, kind of makes me want to like almost even take it down like a, like a B-movie path or like one of the Super Sentai type of themes and stuff. But yeah, uh, but yeah, there's just a world of possibilities there, but we are already coming up on our time for that one. Oh, <laughs> Feels like we man. just started talking about that, but... <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we've, uh, we've opened a big old can of worms here. And if you, the listeners have anything you would like to, uh, contribute to this idea, then, uh, please do get in contact with us. You can find us at playwrightcast on Twitter or playwrightcast.com. You can, uh, put a comment on, uh, any of our episodes we have. Each episode has its own little blog entry on our site. And so we'd be very interested to hear what you have to say about that. But otherwise, let's hop on to the, well, not just yet, actually. I almost oh. let you off the hook there. You've <laughs> oh, got to no. come up with a name for this one. Okay. So <laughs> I'm thinking some version of Not Another Hero. <laughs> uh, there's, a, uh, there's a game right now called, is it just Not a Hero? Not a yeah maybe that's I figured it was taken but I wanted to basically sell the feeling you feel when Marvel announces another thirty superhero <laughs> movies. All right, all right. 
Okay, well, you know what? We're not actually publishing this, so <laughs> All right, let's not go another ahead hero. and uh, claim not another hero. That's a good one. It's, and and said with kind of like a, you know, even the box art would have like a roll eyes emoji or something. <laughs> yes, perfect. <laughs> All right. Well, Mr. H, that means you've got to come up with something just as good. Well, I feel a bit weird about this one because it's not as much a like creative game idea as it is an interesting thing that could be done with the tech. I guess we'll just see where it goes. I don't know if we're going to have, you know, 10 minutes worth of stuff to talk about here, but uh, let's let's give it a shot. Let's see where we let's can take this it. thing. Yeah. So I was really inspired from the initial pitch that Ubisoft gave for the crew, which is a um, a racing game, a car racing game, kind of a, a slightly arcadey, slightly simulation-y. You know, it's not mario kart or crash team racing it's more on the real car side of the spectrum but it's also you know not a gran turismo but it's set on a large open world map that uh, kind of like roughly correlates with the united states and so it's it's really cool now, i really like that game you know for as eh, I, I reasonably like racing games but they're not like my favorite genre by a long shot and, sure. you know, even for a racing game, it's a little janky and it's not great, but it's such an interesting concept. And I just kind of use it as like a road trip simulator, really, to just like start in Detroit and say, I want to go to San Francisco. And it takes like an hour and a half to drive there because this map wow. is so huge and you know, you're snaking your way through freeways and going over mountains and going through the swamps and just all these like different locales within the United States. And it's such an interesting idea. It's just, it's a really kind of like marvelous way to display the countryside. I like it a lot uh, on that regard. And I would definitely recommend it for anyone who is similarly one of those kind of digital sightseers like I am. But I felt that that idea could be realized in a more interesting way. And so what I want to propose here is what if we use the information that is made publicly available or even, you know, partner with Google or whatever and actually not procedurally generate for each user, but like procedurally generate in the way that No Man's Sky did it, where they generated a universe and it is the same for every user. But we generate a map that is actually the size of the United States and contains all of the roads of the United States because all of that information is out there. And, you know, you should be able to, without very much trouble, come up with a video game map that adheres to the road structure that, uh, you know, because GPSs have to do that. They have to create like an illustration of the roads and um, and make that make sense for their journey that they're plotting out. Uh, And so you, you have the roads. You have the elevation of any terrain. You know, if you ever go into Google Earth, you can get a 3D view of the world and you can see all the mountains and the forests yeah. and all you can even see a lot of buildings yeah exactly yeah forests kind of circled out you have all of the like lakes and oceans and all of this information is there and ready to be used and i think what would make it even more interesting is if you know all the buildings are also there and i understand it would be just a disastrous chore to have to like license each of the buildings, you know, <laughs> everyone's to house. get in touch with Starbucks and yeah, people's houses. But you could 
say like this spot is where a Starbucks is. Let's put in a generic coffee shop right here. Sure. And, uh, you know, this spot is zoned for a house. So let's put in a house right here. And, you know, you can go so many layers deep in this procedural generation. If you have, uh, you can look at Zillow listings and get the price of the house, houses in this neighborhood and kind of estimate how big they would be based on that. You can get square footage of each of these buildings. You can even get, yeah. you can program in a prefab set of buildings based on the like part of the country that it's in. So you can get that like, you know, that right, very authentic. Pacific Northwest feeling house. You can get that, you know, very Arizona feeling house. And so everywhere that you're driving feels right, but it is all generated essentially by a machine, which is a lot of input from from people at the at the front end um but i think that it would be really kind of special to challenge your friends that you grew up with to race from your home to your elementary school as a part of this like big car race and you know and you can even do multi-day races across the entire united states from you know like sacramento to new york city and just say it might take us like eight full days but right. you know just whenever you could it could be like a um what are you doing uh, this weekend I'm like driving an asynchronous to <laughs> like an asynchronous thing so you can say you have a month to complete this race and whoever has the fastest time um whoever finds the best route uh you know you can you can force gps's to turn off you just have to kind of like use the map or use the sun or oh uh, man use, you know whatever and just have like a race that goes on for days that people can complete in their own time. And then whoever has the best time at the end of that is the winner and they get some like grand prize or something like that. But yeah, so I, I see a lot of possibilities here. I'm going to stop talking and let's open up the floor on that one. Yeah. Let's start the timer because mm -hmm. we got to talk about this. <laughs> okay. If this is good, if we make it good, if someone mm -hmm. makes it very good, it is the ultimate fantasy simulator, in a sense. And what yeah, I, mean I mean by that is... As long is, as your fantasies are cars. <laughs> sure, yeah, yeah. And it's not just the nice cars and stuff, and you should have nice mm -hmm. cars in the game. I think you should be able to put really crappy cars in the game, too, mm -hmm. because nothing is better than being in a minivan and very pedestrian, putting I mean, around a neighborhood. You could absolutely, like, desert bus this thing as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what I mean by fantasy simulation is... I think there's a huge opportunity to look at neighborhoods and highway systems in a different way, hmm, which is yeah. what is legitimately fun to race on. Maybe if there was some way for someone to highlight, say, a driven lap or something oh, and yeah, yeah. be able to call out, right. hey, this is an amazing neighborhood in North Carolina where you can do some really <laughs> wild like street racing with tight turns and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Because all the roads, I think the, the thing that, was more difficult for any huge open world racing game is you're on a long, you're always on long stretches of highway and America is very much that, mm -hmm. but I think there'd be a bunch of great neighborhoods mm, yeah, to yeah. be on. And of course, you know, eventually you can do every country and <laughs> you can drive the world or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That would be really something. And taking some inspiration from Hitman, if you could set like a good route around a city and just kind of say like, this is my lap time, go ahead and try to beat it yeah. and just open that up to the community and let anybody challenge it. 
I think one of the weird, elusive promises of No Man's Sky when it was before mm-hmm. it had come out and it was still this fictional thing that everybody just put their hopes and dreams into <laughs> is uh-huh. the idea of meeting someone, right? Meeting right. someone who's actually playing at the same time as you and what are the chances of bumping into them? I think that that would feel incredibly powerful in a format like this. Of yeah, yeah. Maybe even you start the game in your hometown or whatever, yeah. <laughs> right? And yeah. you're driving and you're like, oh my God, somebody else is in, you know, for me, it's Massachusetts. I'm like, somebody else mm-hmm. is in my, you know, tiny suburban town in Massachusetts. <laughs> cool. Theoretically, like anybody could go anywhere and they would probably want to because, you know, you have the opportunity to see all of the United States and that's, that's pretty cool. But you can kind of guess that like if anybody is in, you know, Renton, Washington, this, this little town that isn't going to draw tourists from anywhere (laughs) that, you know, that's probably someone from around here. Right. It opens up the uh, local community in a way that like Pokemon Go did as well. So two challenges, I think that definitely have to be tackled at some point Mm -hmm. are like that Renton, Washington example. If there is a guy from Renton, Washington or a girl from Renton, Washington, and they're finding and making a ton of really awesome, fun race routes and putting Mm -hmm. up great times. As long as the community has access to that stuff and Mm -hmm. can very quickly switch into a mode where, oh, I can go anywhere very quickly, Mm -hmm. then that stuff still works for me. It's a matter of, I think Forza Horizon is very good at this, which is finding what are the challenges that you can make with this limited set of data. It almost feels Mm. like it has to be like Ubisoft Steep, where it's the community generating a ton of things, because I can't imagine any team of game designers being able to go, all right, the entirety of the United States, we're going to put hidden secrets all over it. Yeah, yeah. The easy thing to do would be to put landmarks at points of interest, like the the Space Needle, the Archway, or oh, yeah. art exhibits or whatever that you would find across the United States. But that wouldn't exactly lead to like a dense enough collectible field to be interesting. There is the idea of, you know, maybe like you can discover new cities when you drive into them for the first time, kind of encouraging you to spread out. Uh, Maybe things could just kind of be randomly scattered across the highways, little challenges like you would find in the crew, you would stumble across, you know, a slalom challenge where, you know, just go between all of these slaloms throughout this track and they can just be kind of like randomly put around the the road or around the kind of off-road sections, but it wouldn't be as interesting as like a real like authored uh, challenge necessarily, unless the community was given some level of like freedom to create those as well. As long as the tools are right, I all, mm-hmm. I'm selfishly also begging for the Horizon feature here, which is a photo mode. Yeah, yeah. If I could go to the virtual Grand Canyon in my virtual <laughs> Lamborghini, I am very cool with that, especially if I get stuck somehow inside the Grand Canyon. Um <laughs> Uh, that yeah, would be you can really just cool. like cruise off the side of the canyon like Homer Simpson on the skateboard. Yeah, and... I mean, imagine being being able people setting up jumps or even really amazing set pieces mm. around those things. That would be super cool. Yeah, yeah. I have to think about you know, there's probably 
some kind of like legal restrictions against even if you didn't generate the house that looks like a house that is in a specific spot, there is something, there is a home there that is in the same spot, even if it's modeled differently, like it still technically represents the same building. So I don't know if that is, um, if that would land anyone in hot water. I'm not really that legally savvy to say, Um, but I'd imagine if somebody like set up a ramp pointing towards the house of their like ex-girlfriend or something, then that would be a uh, kind of a bad, kind of a bad look for the game, encouraging cars to, <laughs> to slam into it in full confession mode. Going back to my Squarespace days, mm-hmm. <laughs> I did learn the hard way that you just can't show pictures of any building you want. Hmm. Yeah. You have to get rights and permissions, even to show a picture with statue of Liberty, say in the background. Hmm. So we'll have like the statue of freedom. Right. Yeah. Kind of Grand Theft Auto style. <laughs> yeah. Sort of like monuments. There's a reason why those Grand Theft Auto games take place in very yeah. <laughs> sort of exaggerated fictionalized cities, but pretty close, aren't they? Yeah. But you can kind of like license out the big important ones. And so, you know, the uh, Chrysler building and all of these, the ones that people would like go places to see, but just find kind of like approximations and uh, just use all of this like deep web of data that exists on the internet to fill out that space and to make it feel right. Because, you know, you don't want to just completely abandon that like deep level of data that we have because people would go to their neighborhood and say like, no, like these aren't supposed to be housing projects everywhere. Like these are supposed to be, you know, single story houses. Like this doesn't feel at all like my neighborhood. So we want to make it feel right. But at the same time, yeah, probably not try to step on anyone's toes there. (laughs) Let's just not give Ubisoft this technology because their maps are (laughs) large enough. I'm I think this map would be so big that it would put forward the uh, uh, the idea that no one is expected to explore it all. <laughs> Did the sequel to the crew announce that they were going to do new vehicle types? Yeah, uh, they included uh, planes and boats in that demo they showed at E3. I do like the idea of being able to, if a map is so large, really need almost a helicopter mm. to enjoy it, but... I, yeah, I understand really wanting cool. to keep this like a car game. There are certain things that'd be a bit sketchy about flying planes through certain uh, cities, but um, <laughs> yeah, well, but it would be really cool to almost like you can even turn this into like a whole series of games, make a little bit more money that way as well. Like the next flight simulator can be based in this map that we've generated. The next, you know, all, all sorts of different genres of games can exist in this space. The the next Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. Oh, man. <laughs> Just skate across the entire... <laughs> uh, that would be unfeasible, but... <laughs> <laughs> I had a grind that lasted three states. It was incredible. <laughs> we are out of time on that one. And so I'm going to name this one Across State Lines. Oh, very good. And it has that idea of being on the run, which I like. Yeah. (laughs) We have one pitch left today. This comes from you, you, the community. Uh, We love getting your pitches in and turning it into something entirely different, potentially. Maybe adhering to the vision that you originally put forth very closely, but hopefully it grows and evolves over the 10 minutes that we talk about it. But anyways, if you want to send us a pitch, you can send it to playwrightcast at gmail.com. You can throw it on playwrightcast.com slash pitch, or you can tweet us at playwrightcast. It can be as thorough or as minimal as you want. You know, something as as simple as a 
Pac-Man washing simulator could be uh, <laughs> interesting to talk through. So really throw us anything. We will make it into uh, something that is feasibly yeah, could we'll be a game. Yeah, we'll explore it with you. This one comes from Kid Skitsky, who says, A post-apocalyptic restaurant management game. I imagine a game like Roller Coaster Tycoon, where you start with a patch of land and gradually build your eating establishment from a small diner to a four-star restaurant, while defending it from dangerous beasts and raiders. You can use the beasts you've killed as meat for your food. Uh, pausing here, maybe also the raiders? I don't know about that. How post-apocalyptic <laughs> are we talking? Very. <laughs> uh, resuming. And convince the surviving raiders to join you as employees. Or there could be an enslavement mechanic like the game RimWorld. Disasters can threaten your restaurant at any moment, so make sure you prepare defenses and expand your dining franchise to new areas. Build a small farm and harvest food as effectively as possible to accommodate your growing consumer base. I think this is a good start, but the post-apocalyptic setting could be less an aesthetic and more directly woven into the game mechanics, especially since the post-apocalyptic has been done to death in video games at this point. Alright, very interesting. Let's start that one off. I'm getting the sense of that Mad Max game. I'm, that's the like aesthetic that's conjuring up in my mind here of Fallout, yeah. where you're just kind of existing in this world with the occasional passerby, but instead of being the kind of like violent scavenger, the, the grizzled badass of the wastelands, you are a, a friendly restaurant owner <laughs> who's just trying <laughs> to do his very best with what he has. Or you used to be friendly. You know, <laughs> well, you know, you have to do what it takes to survive exactly in this world in the wasteland. So, yeah, let's let's talk about that. We have management type of ideas, which you can work on getting food shipped to you and work out agreements with local communities and such. And so, you know, farmers or whatever, you can turn a lot of the invasions that were originally against you into a bit of a boon by yeah, uh, taking some of that animal meat or whatever. Yeah, I, I like the idea of setting down your roots and not going out into the world, but rather kind of letting the world happen to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This is very much, uh, you know, smells of The Walking Dead where mm. you've in the scenario where there's already an established colony and the things that kind of have to come to you rather than you always going out and exploring. But I got to tell you, Ryan... My mind went in a totally different direction from All yours. All right, well, let's hear it. So I have been jamming on this game Factorio. Yeah, yeah. That's the uh, it's one about building kind of like large assembly lines. Is that right? Yeah. And mm -hmm. so I imagined having sort of your restaurant and its land as your building these tower-like defenses, it's killing animals, and then you're taking their meat and having to almost overcook style, sort of chop uh -huh. it up and get it ready and grill it and serve it for people that are passers-by or whatever. Mm. But the aspect of this idea that I thought was really interesting is both defending yourself, mm. but then as your restaurant grows, because seemingly you might be the only place where anyone could get food in this world. Mm -hmm you eventually have to be a very large operation where you're trapping creatures and then getting them on the assembly line <laughs> to be prepped <laughs> for food. So an ever increasing, you almost start off as a diner and you end as, I don't know, Hormel, if that makes any <laughs> sense. So you have kind of like tower defense aspects almost where you can set up like 
defenses on the perimeter, which is like there's an inherent comedy to setting up defenses on a restaurant. And I also really like the uh, kind of comedic possibility of having these like wastelanders uh, trying to have a night out with somebody that they care about and wearing their like tattered tuxes. And, you know, maybe as you expand, you can attract kind of like a a richer clientele, but they all still look like they've been through like a nuclear war. (laughs) Yeah, the the it's a safe space in the apocalypse for people to come in and dine. Yeah, potentially. What I think Um, is interesting is that the game can kind of start in a way where you're reacting, which is to say that enemies or these creatures, you know, mutated cows, four-headed cows and all that good stuff Mm -hmm. are sort of making their way to you. But I think ever increasingly as, as you grow and have a larger food demand that you, there has to be inventive ways of luring creatures to you yeah, in some way. Yeah. And, you know, some of that would probably be just kind of natural as you're cooking up animals. Maybe the uh, animals, animals that would be it. like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> like the predators of those animals. And so you would have to kind of like judge at that point, do I want to cook this meat or do I want to throw it out because I can't afford to attract a death claw right now because I don't have the defenses to deal with it? So some some level of risk reward in what you choose to cook. Yeah, or even choose to serve. If you let that meat go mm. <laughs> a little bit bad and it uh-huh. mutates one of your customers, they destroy a wing of the restaurant even. <laughs> or maybe even they they throw it up and they come back hungry the next day. Though I do really like where you started with the 3D stuff because one of my favorite aspects of Minecraft is actually just you know, figuring out that hay or whatever is what attracts a cow and then going and finding a cow and sort of holding it in front of them and convincing Mm. them to come into my fenced in area, essentially. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And so I kind of like envision this as like a uh, RTS type of viewpoint where you see a restaurant, you can set out your trading routes and your, you know, whatever kind of conveyor belts would you, yeah. you hook up a conveyor belt to like an animal den and it just kind of like pumps animals out every once in a while. And uh, you're kind of defending from all angles, you know, depending on where your restaurant's located, you might have like a mountain defense for uh, one of your sides, but you also want to be uh, visible to the public. <laughs> you want to have your sign out where people can see it. I, I, I think there's a lot of good like comedy in trying to balance like, this survival sim with this very cheery corporate culture. <laughs> yes. So I'm. that's what I was going to ask you is there's two ways this could go in my mind. One mm-hmm. of them is the singular mega restaurant empire route. Mm-hmm. And the other in my head is more like civilization if that makes any sense where you're almost setting up a franchise of these restaurants and they're you're choosing the locations of like who needs food Mm. the most these people over here and you're managing a bunch of different micro restaurants at a time so the the entirety of the growth loop is maybe smaller but it's more about getting each one running efficiently Mm-hmm. In in its area, I do like that idea of franchising and building out. I would want to hold on to that until kind of like the late game, sure. Because I really want the core experience to be 
based on like one restaurant that you can call home and for you to really know and really get into like the micromanagement of employees and uh, sourcing the food and yeah. cooking it and defending the restaurant and all of that. And so once you do start to branch out and open, you know, more branches elsewhere, I would want like that same level of uh, tactical thinking and uh, necessary thought and preparation to go into each of those as well. Uh, I, I'm sure it could all be automated because you can't have eyes in every place all at once. Although maybe, I mean, what if when you opened another restaurant, it was kind of like a split screen, then the more you opened, the smaller each screen got. But anyways, that's <laughs> kind of a different thing. <laughs> yeah, I do like, again, the comedy of once raiders come and mm -hmm. try to attack your restaurant the next day, they're the special. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or the employees or something. And <laughs> Have yeah, to let you go, a... Bob, but you're not leaving. And there's a certain kind of inspiring tale there as well, where, you know, after a, after a few months, old uh, Rugburn in the restaurant, he, he looks back on his life that he left and he said, I used to be out there robbing civilians and, and tearing down uh, caravans just to, just to have enough to survive. But now I've gone and got myself an education and I'm working as the manager of this small time restaurant now. So... Yeah, we're bringing hope in in a hopeless time. <laughs> That's right. This is a trickle down economics for the post apocalyptic <laughs> era. <laughs> yeah, I mean, either way, kids get see this was a very very good submission. <laughs> Thank you so much. We're, we're kind of coming up on time there. Let's think about what is a good name for this one. I was thinking like I've wanted to do some sort of like a Mad Max takeoff. I was thinking like Hungry Henry, but. Again, like I, I kind of, I don't want it to be based on like one character necessarily. Like, this is kind of a, you know, the, the characters in RTSs are kind of like faceless beings commanding the army. So God, if it wasn't already a mega franchise, I'd say Hunger Games. But <laughs> how about what a diner or die? <laughs> Dine or die. Yeah, Dine yeah. or die is, is cleaner. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's good. I like that. Dine or die. <laughs> uh, that was, as you heard us say at the very beginning there, a submission from our community, from our listeners. Thank you very much for that. That is immensely appreciated. We get a huge kick out of reading each of those. Uh, if you choose to uh, submit something that you've been thinking about, something that's been rattling around in your brain, an idea for an entirely new game that does not exist just yet, feel free to throw that to us. We have a bit of a uh, queue at this point. We, not you. Uh, we have a bit of a line <laughs> at this point, which is lovely and wonderful. So it's probably going to be a, you know, a few weeks out before we read your submission. But at this point, we can uh, pretty much promise that anything that is um, sent into us will eventually be read. Yeah, <laughs> We're not yeah, uh, we'll drowning in these yet and to the point it would become untenable unless we stay on the air for another 90 years. But Which uh, is why I should tell you to go to playwrightcast.com slash pitch and you can write in your own there. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. Or uh, give us an email at playwrightcast at gmail.com. And we will read the submissions wherever they come from. They are well appreciated. And also, you know, get in, con in contact with us if you have any kind of helpful feedback for our show, any things that you like, any things that you would uh, 
want changed in any way. We are very open to receiving any kind of fan feedback. We just love to engage with all of you. (laughs) Yeah. In fact, on our very first episode, Spencer came back and decided to tweak a little bit of our suggestions. Mm. So in the comments, we can have that conversation right now. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So if, uh, if an idea is yours, feel free to uh, give us some feedback on that. If an idea is not yours, but you have uh, some more things that uh, we neglected to say or, or different interesting places you could imagine taking it, then please do chime in. We are uh, excited to hear that kind of feedback. Uh, we are just about done today. So uh, Ryan, why don't you tell us a little bit about our theme song? Well, I want to thank Protodome for Hello World, the theme song to Playwright Cast. And also off that album, Blue Noise, go get it at Bandcamp. It's really good. Mm -hmm. Some uh, excellent music. Thank you all for listening. We will see you next week. See you later. (laughs) 